Welcome to the ABC Music Talk podcast. Once more, we return to the disciplines category with a focus on a subject that has come up a good few times during previous episodes, and that is education. But first, a reminder for you all to go rotor your video assets. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Now, my guest in this episode is one of the leading figures in making sure the next generation of executives in the music industry know what's up. Welcome to the show, founder and managing director of Tullyard Education, Harry Lexstein. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Great. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. I know, like, I, I realise today is a busy day for you. Oh, it's not a problem at all. It's yeah. fine too. Not bad, Alex. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm really excited about doing this particular one, and the reason for it is, if you haven't figured it out, this podcast is all about helping the next generation of executives. It's yep. the sort of thing that when I came into the industry, I wanted to listen to, but it didn't exist. Mainly because podcasts didn't exist, and also really the people on, people weren't on the internet for content because I'm just that old. Um, so I'm probably going to be using it as a little bit of a chance to uh, to to learn about what I should be saying because <laughs> you're the expert oh. in teaching the next generation. Right. Yeah. So are you ready for that? Let's do it. Come on, educate me. How's right. it, how does that wow. sound? So, I, so okay. So what I always do is I always ask people about their kind of journey to this point. So yeah. to speak. I want to know about how you got to here. Um, I think storytelling is a huge part of the learning that I went through in, in my industry. And that obviously comes from people that have mm. been in the industry for a while. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to prepare for this with you. And I spent about 20 minutes on LinkedIn, yeah. which, you know, as you know, kind of puts this sort of chronicle, chronological order to kind of the jobs that people have had. Yeah. Now, I kind of gave up with yours because it, it, it felt like you were doing 26 jobs at one time. I've always been doing that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, so and I'm, I mean, I'm guessing that it's because, like, it was a, like, what I think what we're going to reveal in this, that you've had a slightly sort of non-conventional way into it, mainly because you've been kind of inventing an awful lot of what's kind of transpired. So, yeah. So, t- t- can you walk, can you, actually, can you walk me through your career? How did that um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I first started getting involved with, with music uh, when I was at university. Uh, I was in mm-hmm. Bristol um, at the turn of the 90s, at uh, a time when the Bristol music scene was kicking off, and that led to me going to a lot of um, raves and uh, participating in some uh, as well, and creating a few sort of after-hours clubs, and uh, oh, in it, which was incredibly easy to do with so many people interested in going out and exploring this new scene at that particular time. Yeah, sure. So, right, so dance music, I didn't know that about you. So you, you're, yeah. a, you're a dance music fan? Uh, well, an all sort of music fan. Well, really, these days, but, I'm sure. But yeah, like, but, like, um, yeah, yeah, I just got absorbed into that whole scene by default, having just sort of arrived there to study English, as I was there to do. And, um, yeah, fell into the whole sort of 89 to 1990, 91, 92 scene that was, was happening there. It was happening, um, yeah. From the sort of... Uh, raves out past Ashton Court down to Tewton Mendip and into the city and clubs like the Moon Club that became Lakota and the Black and White and St Paul's and the Thecla and um, Cozies and the, the whole sort of Bristol scene that was kicking off there really yeah. inspired me and a few and plenty of other mates of mine as well um, so so that was my sort of introduction into 
running events, I suppose. Right. Uh, and um, I found myself out in Los Angeles after that in about 93, 94, where again another group of people came together and we found a venue um, in central Hollywood. And how, did you, how did you get to LA? What was the what took you out there? Um, I was when I was studying. I was also reading film scripts um, to okay. to supplement some income uh, for for a production company based in London. And I thought I would go out there and explore the scene out there, yeah. and wanted to work on some film productions and some TV productions, and eventually thought I would want to go on into film. And in many ways, I have sort of. Um, done stuff with film which we'll get to um, yeah which we'll get to but um, yeah I found myself out in, in LA my old man uh, knew somebody who had a, a business apartment it was a two bedroom apartment in North Hollywood and he was only there two days a week and he said well you can just give us a small amount of rent and basically just use one of the other room um, so I, I turned up with a couple of hundred quid in my pocket and an open return my old man <laughs> said you know I'll get you the open return and then if it doesn't work out you could just come, come back, back but yeah. see how long you can last you know? oh wow what a great opportunity yeah it was great um, and we, we uh, after about six to eight weeks actually had uh, had opened a club called Divine Culture on Hollywood and Ivor with um, a group of other people who ranged from uh, a second assistant cameraman who'd made some money because he was working on Terminator 2 and had saved up a lot of dough wow. and a guy who built trade show sort of stands for a living so I had access to a lot of cool materials yeah, light, sure. especially lightweight fabric materials and we dressed this disused sort of Russian gym space about 6,000 square foot that was given to us um, that they these guys used it for sort of pumping iron during the week but didn't need it at the weekend and um we turn up and convert it into a, a sort of rave venue. Interesting. Um, and opened at midnight on a Saturday, and we're the latest opening club in LA at the time. We closed at sort of midday, um, so we we cracked on all right, the way so, through so it the went night. All, it went all the way through. Yeah, like yeah. Day, there were a couple of club. clubs on a Sunday that sort of opened up after we closed, but none, no others that sort of ran through from Saturday night into wow. Sunday. Um, and it was it was a great experience. It was really good, amazing. Mm. So come on, next. oh, I, I, from there I That's, came that, back. That, that was the, the beginning. Yeah, like, and I then... uh, I ended up working on some films and stuff as well, various yeah. things from sort of production assistanting to to extra work and yeah. walk on parts things like that. Oh, loved, yeah, loved it. Yeah. And, anything that I can see. No, absolutely not. Come on, no, and there must not. be. Like we've it's got a, the internet now. <laughs> it's a really dodgy <laughs> version of me in a in an LAPD uniform in Unsolved Mysteries. Right. I mean, you'd I'm, have to dig I'm very gonna, hard I'm to find. Gonna, have you got an IMDb, IMDb profile? No, I do not have That's a profile. shame. That would have made Thank it easier. God for that. That would have made it much easier. I came back to, to London around uh, late 94 and a friend of mine was working for ABC News. Oh. And I was looking for something to do really just to earn some keep really. And he said, oh, that's really good. They actually pay you to train you, pay you while you're training. Yeah. And then the rates are pretty good. You just do these shifts. Um, and it was the satellite coordination desk. So it was the, you'd sit with the producer with all the dark room with all the TV screens in front of you and you'd yeah. be coordinating feeds that would maybe come from an edit bay down the corridor or they could come from somebody standing out in the middle of a war zone somewhere uh it could be from anywhere and it was very exciting because you never knew each day what was going to come at you yeah or, or the fact that you would start with a story at the beginning of the day and by the time you got to the evening rollout for the news item the story could have changed in so yeah, many different permutations um and so i i said yeah all right, i'd love to to meet these guys and i trained up 
and started freelancing for them. And at the time, everybody used the same equipment. So before long, I was freelancing for CBS and NBC. And they, and they all had these, like, what was their 6 o'clock news, basically. Mm-hmm. But it would go out at sort of 11 p.m. our time. Out of, you know, based out of New York, mostly the news there. So I, I, I was freelancing doing that for quite a few years, actually. For three or four years. And really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, covered a lot of stories from um, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, uh, the, the conflict in Rwanda, um, the death of Diana. I mean, it's a really pivotal right. sort of moments, and you get sort of drawn into the, the energy, incredible yeah. energy that sort of news and the whole machinery of news generates. Yeah. And uh, I really loved it. It was kind of like a mini film every day, all yeah, condensed right. into a very short period of time. Yeah, amazing. Um, but I uh, got to a point where I was actually... Um, I was working for Associated Press, APTV, as it was known at the time. And I, went, I remember going upstairs and chatting to my boss and sort of saying, how do I get into the more executive side of this, the sort of developing and creating programs as opposed to just coordinating satellite feeds and productions? Mm. Um, he said, well, most people have got a, a business master's of some sort, like an MBA or something okay, like that. Okay. And that. You should think about looking into that. And I started looking into it. Um, and... My grandfather passed away and left me with a little bit of money and my dad said, you should do that MBA thing with, with that money. That would yeah. be a really good thing for you to do. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up, I, I went to uh, look at Imperial College. They had an MBA in what was known as entrepreneurship and innovation. And I thought, well, actually, that's kind of like, I, it, it rings a lot of bells for me. You know, mm. I love that whole entrepreneurial sort of side of things, just creating projects and we were always sort of I suppose innovative innovative with music innovative with lighting and staging in the way that we sort of put stuff together with the whole rave thing um so I went to see them and I was talking to the dean a bit like we're talking now and he was listening away and he goes um I don't know why you're you're interested in going back into news sounds like you should focus on uh, the music industry and everything to do with music that seems to be your passion and frankly it's 1998 so why won't, why don't you come here and do a piece on why the internet why and how the internet is going to change the music industry and I'm like I'm looking at this sort of 70 plus year old guy who's yeah. the dean of the, the college and I was kind of like whoa you know that's that was inspiring you know yeah. and he goes well I'll tell you what I'll offer you a place if you come and do that and I went um, okay <laughs> so I did I did my MBA at Imperial and my main focus was at the time in 98 was uh, how the internet was going to be affected by the, the advent of the digital era mm-hmm. and my thesis I suppose you call it at the end that you have to write um, was called the download road to where mm-hmm. and posed the theory that actual actually downloads were a very short term redundant model and that we were moving into more of a streaming model and what streaming meant as opposed to as opposed to downloading in, in every way from the the concept of it as a um, as a you know sort of an MCPS related um, royalty as opposed yeah. to performance based yeah, right. yeah. but also more in the point of how we were pivoting from being a uh, a vertical product based industry a vertical food chain where where a handful of companies owned a lot of the mechanism to very much a horizontal service sector as a result of streaming we were we were going to be providing services that that many other competitors in different spaces like subscription based 
TV, Sky, yeah, Virgin, exactly. whatever, have been doing very successfully for a while yeah. and kind of probably looking at the music industry going, gosh, why don't you just do what we're doing? Um, well, but at well, the time, they, in they, 98... They, they owned the infrastructure, kind of, though, didn't they? That, yes, was, that they was one of the slight different... Because I mean, the music industry mm. used to own infrastructure. They used to make the, That's right. the, the, the hi-fis and things like that, yeah. like Thorny MI and all the rest of it. Mm. And then they kind of started to lose that in the digital era, which That's is right. kind of part of our woes right now with Apple and Spotify being in the power seat, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, I think we're all changes of technology that sort of play around with the, the barriers to entry and the barriers to exit to a market, market will... Um, will introduce new players and yeah. new kids on the block. And those new kids on the block are normally driven by um, the channel to market. Yeah. Uh, and so the new gatekeepers to the, to, to the market and market audience are normally the new players when yeah. you look at those kind of things. So anyway, I did this paper and um, posed the, this sort of theory, which was, I suppose, pretty radical in sort of 98, mm-hmm. I guess. And, that was, um, yeah. Uh, well, but, I mean, that was you think that was still like the CD boom was still going up. Yeah, people were still making a lot of money every yeah. day, more than they did the day before. Yeah, and I don't think that they were. And they, from my understanding, and speaking to some other people, mm. there was a lot of kind of like it'll never, it's it'll never fall down. This house of cards that we built. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and to a certain extent, no one had heard of even streaming. They were just trying to get their heads around downloading. Really, Correct, but yeah. there was a theory that sort of it's all right. Downloading is the great shining knight on the, on the horse that's going right, right, to save right, us right. and it, it'll it'll all be okay but i was like well hang on a minute no it was all you know based around the premise of of, of um sort of moore's law really of this, this sort of ubiquitous broadband and the the speed with which computerized chips were accelerating mm-hmm. uh, coupled with the the sort of underpinning of um of fiber optic or just broadband capability so, was going to effectively render the purpose of downloading so, completely redundant. So, but where did that where did that technical kind of knowledge come from? Was that from your sort of getting involved with satellite TV at the, the, the broadcast? Yeah, it really was actually. Yeah. In fact, my first email, I got I got an email address in nineteen ninety six, I think, yeah. and it was a DNS number. It was just one one two dot one one dot. Two two one or something, you is, know. We didn't is, have is, an it, at in it. It didn't it, have any letters. Is it still active now? Can I say something to it? I don't know. It was so surreal. I mean, we would we would start messaging each other with yeah. these kind of um, yeah. with these DNS numbers. So yeah, maybe yeah, I don't, maybe it was. Anyway, well, when everybody was out, sort of uh, at the end uh, of of the uh, NBA, getting sort of um, drunk and partying, I sort of nipped into the um, uh, the administrative office uh, there. And um, unofficially borrowed their photocopier and binding machine for a little while, um, slapped a fancy cover on the title of this thing and um, stuck it in uh, half a dozen um, Jeffy bags and posted it off to various people like the head of Sony and Universal and a few other places. Wow. And Music Week and stuff. That's and amazing. so I thought this might be of interest to you. And it certainly got a lot of replies. Um, really? That's yeah. incredible. Because, I mean, you know, that's just, like, if you think, like, if you were an artist, you put your, you know, cassette or mini disc or yeah. maybe a CD in a Jiffy bag and send it somewhere. Yeah. Right? So they were getting stuff in Jiffy bags all the time. Yet yours yeah. arrives and it's sort of A4 size, presumably. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell's this? Yeah. But well, they... I sent it to the secretaries of the CEOs and stuff. Yeah. And it, okay. sort of said Imperial yeah. College on it and stuff. And... Well, that'll help. Yeah. Right? Official yeah. stamp. 
official stamp kind of thing. Although Boston was really supposed to do that. I remember the dean sort of spoke to me afterwards and said, do you know, um, you know, you're not really supposed to send stuff out without our permission. I said, what was the title of the MBA that I was studying? Uh-huh. It was like Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Uh-huh. I was like, what are you going to do? Absolutely. So, um, but one guy who called back um, was a guy called Chris Sheffield who had created a company called Unite, which he was setting up uh, in Manchester and London as what he called a convergence company. Right. So he's very cle- cleverly positioned his offices next to the um, the university technical department in, in Manchester and was siphoning off hot new developers and designers and coders into his office. And he had you know, coding, web development, design, project management, sort of data coder kind of people, mm-hmm. um, some hosting related people, and he bought some hosting provisions so he could host web and build sites. Mm-hmm. Again, 1999, right? Yeah, right? So, and he said, I really liked your, your paper. Why don't you sort of see where you can make some money out of the music and entertainment sector? I'll just make you head of that. Mm-hmm. And here's all these different people. How do you get them? doing things to and then we'll charge the fees out to clients mm-hmm. um, and so I developed in the, over the, like, the next it was meteoric really and uh, we grew the company in 19 months to sale to, um, to a PLC wow. brought it 19 months later for a considerable amount of money and um, over those 19 months I developed some of the first internet radio stations um, streaming media players the concepts of Databases that m- took metadata content and then fed them up through a personalized player on request. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of concepts, really. Yeah, cool. um, and yeah, and the company uh, sold to a Manchester-based company that wanted to convert all their mail order catalogs into online and interactive TV. We, we also had an interactive TV license. Um, and so I, at that stage, exited the company. I didn't want to, they didn't want to continue doing music-related stuff and I mm-hmm. thought I did. So I grabbed my shares and got out and I was looking for something to do and uh, for, for a year and ended up devising a uh, youth music social enterprise Okay. Where with a, with a colleague or two of mine um, who were hip-hop producers. Yeah. And what was the name of this? London Urban Collective. Yes, okay. Um, and yeah, we went out to Islington Council, uh, where I was living there at the time in Islington. I thought, well, let's, you know, charity starts at home. Let's go to Islington Council and Arsenal Football Club. Mm-hmm. And they were building the Emirates at the time. Right. So they actually had a little pot of money to help with the community transition around the old Highbury and the new ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up getting a little bit of money and um, launching the project, mm-hmm. which took 30 kids from open auditions and built a... Uh, hip hop album with them, which we then released um, o- online and, mm-hmm. and did some promo and some CDs and some live shows, and kind of just sort of showed people how the cycle of campaigns works by getting them to do it for themselves. Mm. Um, in the coming years, it, it was designed to to last for one year. While I decided what I was going to do, it ran for eight years in five yeah. cities um, and more than seven hundred people through the project. Wow. But as we progressed, we ended up putting building a recording studio as well as we mm-hmm. moved around the country in in different community centres. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit more of a legacy. But yeah, it was a hugely rewarding project and one which um, I've seen a number of careers launch since. Or wow. really, just the really rewarding story is to hear about these young kids uh, who've gone possibly off into back into education as a result or yeah. and then and then gone on and got jobs doing X and Y, you know. Yeah. So over the course of that, that, that eight years we made loads of projects and 
I suppose that leveraged me into education and just kind of got me doing stuff. I started guest speaking at yeah, various Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like guest lectures. I mean, out in Singapore and things like that. I mean, yeah, was, yeah, I started doing guest lectures and then a lovely, lovely lady who's, who, who passed recently, bless her soul, um, Debbie Dickinson at, at City University, she's an amazing lady, she said to me, um, we've got this course called Making Music Work, but at the moment it doesn't really work. <laughs> and I was kind of like, well, yeah, it doesn't talk about the internet or anything. It's just, it was kind of written ages ago and they hadn't updated it. Right. So I updated it and that's when I, started, I suppose I started writing modules as they refer to them, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of like 12 yeah. weeks kind of thing. Yeah. And then eventually somebody asked if I'd like to write a whole BA, a whole degree, which is really just sort of, you know, sort of... 16 modules over three years and it's mm-hmm. kind of formulaic I suppose um, and I've launched launched that um, and developed that that side of things um, which gave me a lot of experience in I suppose higher education while I was doing that I had written an outline for a master's of business in music business an MBA if you like for the music business mm-hmm. Uh, but I was keen not to house it in an academic institution. I thought if this, if we're going to teach this, I'd love to host it somewhere where the industry were buzzing about everywhere, as opposed to just in a college or a university, and then you have to just get people to come in for a couple of hours in an evening as a guest. I wanted it to be embedded in a community. Yeah. And a friend of mine had said, "Yeah, you've got to check out this place, Tileyard." And this was back in twenty, I think, fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was still reasonably advanced you know it was a pretty big community then not as big as it is now but yeah. I still hadn't heard of it I was like where what what are you talking about there's this community of studios and it really keeps itself to itself in that respect um, but I remember coming up here and meeting Paul and Nick Michael and Charlie and kind of they were like look we love this idea but in typical Tileyard fashion they sort of said how about this bigger art picture <laughs> and I was like instead of just one course how about dot 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 you know yeah. And so, yeah, we, we launched. We had to wait for a year or so to till there was a space available. Because, uh-huh. um, you know, you've got to... If you do these kind of courses, you've, you've got to make sure students have got some their own education building. Yeah, stuff like that, yeah. facilities and all that. So we had to wait for that to come online and then build it and do all of that sort of stuff. But now we're in our third year. We're the cohort of 75 full-time master students across five programmes. We're launching uh, programs online. It's online blended as well because you you study online, but you also come here mm-hmm. to do things like mentoring and songwriting camps and stuff. So it's kind of hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and most excitingly, we're just starting the development on Tyler North in in Wakefield as well. So another another centre. So I guess that brings us up to speed. Yeah, no, it's really good. And and you know, amazingly, and I've I've found this a few times. Uh, even though I, as we discussed earlier, I haven't given you any of the questions. Mm. You, the, the flow of how Uh-oh. I thought this might go is, yeah. is perfect. That's no, great. Good. Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, you know, and uh, and as I said earlier, I'm going to get Nick on uh, at some point. So oh, he's great! Going to kind of do more on like the tile yard things. Yeah, because he was really you know him and. Um, uh, and Michael have been very instrumental in that early curation. He's great on all of that. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I'm kind of like one of the first generation of people that was formally educated in the music industry. Right. I did a degree course, uh, BA honours degree uh, in music industry management in, at Bucks. 
Oh, Bucks, yeah. And, very good course, yeah. And ultimately, back then, I don't know what it's like now, I haven't looked into it, but it was essentially a business degree that they kind of converted into right. this music industry. So we were doing yeah. kind of some of the traditional stuff, like psychology and philosophy. And oh, okay. Like, sort of, like, straight-up economics, like, talking about cans of beans and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was, like, sort of publishing and contract law and venue management and other things like that. that they yeah. kind of, it felt like there was always two streams. Like, there was that sort of traditional education and then there was kind of mm. like this sort of bit that was a bit more vocational I suppose right um so I mean is uh how, how like with with uh with tar education mm. how, how have, what did you approach it in the same way did you think right I've got to get these guys uh, a recognized uh qualification and therefore I'm going to have to satisfy certain requirements that, that sort of fall into that because that was mm. what we were always told it was like if it's a degree you've got to do certain things otherwise you can't, you can't really call it a degree it's right. like, it would yeah. be something else like a BTEC or something right, yeah, or, or whatever yeah. whatever yeah. the equivalent is um, so I mean so how, how have you kind of sort of meshed the two together I suppose right um, I guess to start with with, with respect to Tyler, what I, one of the first things I said we would do is map all the things that could be taught and to what age ranges mm-hmm. and then kind of you know chuck, chuck things out of the balloon depending on what did and didn't fit um, and we sort of came down to it, it wasn't it's not the right kind of space to have lots of real young'uns running around you know, it's right. kind of a pro community. Yeah. It's it, it's much more of a practical application community as opposed to a um, theoretical ethnomusicology kind of academic pedagogic kind of end of the industry. So there's some words in there I don't understand. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So I'm just saying it. We're basically, we sit at more of a practical end of the market as opposed to just bury your head in theories and, and, and research, which is has totally has its place. It just has its place more in academic institutions than a practical community. Yeah. And then, so we were kind of left with sort of higher education and then we weren't going to end up doing the PhD thing because that is the heavy research end yeah and we looked at degrees and we because of our agnostic nature uh, we, we didn't want to just align with one college as it were uh, we, you know we wanted to be sort of college agnostic mm-hmm. we didn't really want to compete with any of them in the sort of BA market mm-hmm. um, and that really sort of left this slither of the master's degree mm-hmm. and that really sort of ticked a lot of boxes you know this is a community of masters at work yeah and the masters the one year masters is kind of like it fitted in from a sort yeah. of brand perspective and if you think about it like sort of you know certainly when I finished my my BA mm-hmm. the next thing was like well what's next right? exactly and what's so, next and right. so one option is obviously to go and get the job but then yeah. the next thing would be the masters so the fact that you placed it here where as you say there are yeah. masters at work yeah is kind of I mean it's just like from a geographical point of view, if nothing else, makes a lot of sense. It's a great USP, and that, yeah. and you know, it was of all the places that I it, it could have grown out of when, yeah. when I created that course. This is by far the best by a long shot. I mean, it's the largest professional community, more than thirteen hundred people on site, and to be to spend a year not just taught by them, but embedded in amongst their social and active creative lives, yeah, is, is the best thing you can get your hands on really if this is where you want to go into and bear in mind it's not just business MAs that we were created here so fundamentally our flagship ones are songwriting production and business um, mm-hmm. so it, you know, this is a machine of songwriting and production mm-hmm. Tyliard um, supported by the business community 
that range from label, publisher, manager, promoter, agent, manufacturer, distribution, and so on. But right at the heart, just like at the heart of the industry itself, is the song and the production. Yeah. And there are just under a hundred recording studios on this site. You know, and it was this. Yeah, and they started off. It began, as Nick will tell you, with ten. So yeah. that's what came first, the studios. And I, I think that's the same. I, I, bit, like, I remember that because I remember people yeah. moving from kind of the more traditional spots where they where people had studios. Yeah. And everyone was talking about this tile yard place. Yeah. Everyone's going to tile. Everyone's going to tile yard. So I thought it was just studios at one point. Well, it was, and and that's right, as it as it should be, really, because first and foremost comes the creative community, and then those their their agents of exploitation, their agents of business, if you yeah. like, those initial core food groups, label, publisher, manager, promoter started to kind of go mm, maybe it'd be nice to just be near the talent yeah. oh have you got the office space yes what do you know we do and now 250 companies support That's that incredible. community of 100 studios right. so and, and this is a place that includes Beats 1 yeah um, I mean that's it's pretty amazing that's pretty amazing it is it's, it's so like what it's, what it's attracted you know yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's great to have the big names and stuff, but there is an enormous array of small, fast-moving independents who's doing just amazing specialist work, you know, that, that's so exciting to be around. So, anyway, back to, back to the MAs. We, when we focused on the Masters as potentially the right vehicle to use, um, it, it also transpired that the government was bringing online postgraduate student loan um, at the same time, right. effectively, we would be our first cohort were we to launch it back then, would have been the first cohort where people were able to get hold of a postgraduate student loan. Mm. So it was opening up a new market that didn't really exist before, where because the Masters was very much the provision of somebody who could afford to pay the fees for it, mm-hmm. um, and not just the fees, but the living expense. Because yeah. it, it doing a, a Masters in one year is a pretty tough gig. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of so work. It's only two doing days. that and a job yeah. and everything else on top of yeah. family life, it can become really mm. intense. So to be supported by the postgraduate student loan, I, I knew was going to open up a whole new market. Yeah. And in many ways, we position ours as the, the fourth year that really makes a difference. Mm. So rather than a three-year BA, it's that fourth year of study. It gets you an MA. It gets you connected with the industry. It mm. embeds you into a community where you're going to have the fastest odds of rolling from graduation into employment in one way, shape or form. Yeah. On top of the fact that we teach that our industry, our portfolio, entrepreneur, freelance you know specialists right. we, we have we actually asked you got sort of 50 to 100 of the people here um, how many independent sources of income do they have um, and the average was six so you know there are six in mutually exclusive and independent sources of incomes that free creative freelancers have as their regular wow. sources of, of revenue right so that's a lot to juggle, right? But but that's just how we roll. We so, you know yeah. some people are you're a producer and you you rent the studio. You've got a studio and you rent it out to other people. Right. You produce for your own name, which is maybe you've got one or even two brands mm-hmm. under your own name. You 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 are producing for other people mm-hmm. when you're not producing. Maybe you're co-writing and then possibly you're teaching or then you're on mm-hmm. tour and doing services like that yeah. and then possibly you're managing another artist. And well, there's seven right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then you've got your PRS and PPL kind of income streams. That's eight stuff coming in. Um, and if you're successful at it, it's not long before brands start to get involved as well, especially mm. if you're supporting all of that activity with social media engagement. And, oh, and you're in, your Insta followers or your what other followers yeah, are, yeah, are, are broad enough for brands to kind of go, can we talk to your audience? Yeah, of course. Um, that's, now that's nine yeah. streams. So yeah. it's not long before you start seeing how a core skill set of being able to use a Mac, a door, um, some some online soft, software tools and social media tools, plus having one space that you can maybe collectivize or share mm. with other day renters or whatever, brings you into easily your second hand, you know, six, seven sources of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw, I had, I, one of the first interviews I did was uh, with a, a DJ producer called Scott Diaz based down in Brighton. Yeah. And, and he kind of took me through all the different things that he's doing. And I mean, one of the things that stood out for him was the fact that he was involved in sort of sample uh, creation. So right. he was like, you know, creating those samples from, from scratch. And then there's a whole sort of world of platforms that are out there where you can, you know, sell them. So yeah, absolutely. And, and then he's, he, he took me through kind of the process that he goes through to release a record because mm-hmm. I sort of said, yeah, what, what, what would you do? Kind of soup to nuts. And, uh, and it was, he just kept talking. It was just stuff. He just, it was just this sort of yeah. long list. And I was like, oh, it's incredible God. how many hats it's people wear when you independently yeah. create and produce and market and digitally distribute and shore up with live performance yeah. or little bits of, you know, video content to support it, remixes, you name it. It's a big gig. Yeah. Yeah. But people can do it now. That's ultimately what that piece was back that I wrote about back in back in ninety eight, you know, was was it we it's the long tail really what Chris Anderson was talking about, right? So we are all effectively in this in this infinite long tail where we all have the vertical capabilities um, through the machinery, through yeah. through the Mac, through software and through the broadband connection. It's democratized that. All we have to do is learn how to use those tools but we all have them at our disposal we have a recording studio we can we can mix it down we can create the website all the social media we can upload and online distribute we can create video design stuff talk to our fans and ultimately give them a link to somewhere where they can buy what they like yeah and that is the whole vertical food chain fallen on its side converted from a product centric vertical into horizontal you know, service. This is fast becoming a masterclass, uh, so I appreciate. It. So, so, <laughs> so we uh, we first met um, with Ingrus through yeah, but through PJ. Yeah, yeah, through PJ. who was one of the original crew back in '98 with all of that stuff going on. Absolutely, and I definitely Steve Mayle and, and yeah, Paul Brindley, of course, um, yeah, yeah, uh, music ally, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, desperately trying to get PJ on this. Yeah, but you know he's he'd be uh, great. He'd be great. He doesn't think so, but I think <laughs> he I, would. Get I, right. I think he's wrong. Um, and you had invited me down to come and see uh, some of the kids at the, the Urban Collective uh-huh. uh, to talk about digital distribution. So I do remember walking away from it, thinking I really should have prepared for that because they are a super smart bunch. Um, but what I think, like for me, obviously having come out of education, was what I liked about what you'd done is that, that there was this focus on. Uh, sort of practicing what you preach, mm. as in what you preach, and mm. they are practicing it. Yeah. So just just because I think it's a good example, that that whole kind of inferno hip hopera. Oh gosh, you know, just yeah. just just walk us through that for a second because oh, wow. I think it's, it was a su- super interesting project that you did. We had been doing Urban Collective for. 
three years, I think we were into our fourth year, and we had made straight up albums, just got kids together, made a whole album, and it was great. And sometimes there was a thematic in 2006, by default it was the year of the London bombings and stuff, and a lot everyone got quite political about their stuff, so it turned into quite a political album, but there wasn't any agenda as such to do so. But when we got to the fourth year, we thought... Uh, it'd be nice if we layered some sort of interpretation of literature over the top. Mm-hmm. And originally, I wanted to do the Three Penny Opera, um, but um, I wrote to the Kurt Vile Foundation <laughs> and said, "Hi, I'm Collective here. We'd love to do a hip hop version of the Three Penny Opera." And got this really snotty letter back saying, "Do you know who we are? Kind of thing. You can't, you know, sully the work of Kurt Vile in such a." hideous fashion no you may not convert it you know um and so i was like oh right okay then fine better find another subject uh and i was like well what's out of copyright and i went oh, hang on uh, when i was at university we studied um dante the divine comedy inferno paradise and purgatory um those are universal themes you know the seven deadly sins and and the gates of hell and all that um and why don't we do something around that. And I literally got this one of those sort of eureka moments in sort of one o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it went downstairs and by seven o'clock in the morning had the complete sort of outline of Virgil and Dante sort of meeting on the streets of London circa 2004 and, and him taking him through the various layers and gates yeah, of, yeah. of hell um, uh, where they encountered the various seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you added up all the various figures or characters that came into play, what do you know? It was about the same number of people as the auditions to get into the collective. Serendipity. Yeah. Um, uh, there were about sort of 25 or 30 parts in it. And um, I thought, okay, why don't we try it? And when we were doing auditions, we just sort of said, how would you feel about uh, being given, if you like, a brief for how you might want to write your song. Let's say I said to you, I gave you a brief of gluttony or lust or envy or something. Would, would you be happy with that? They're like, yeah, I can write to anything, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was like, mm, okay. Uh, we did. We, we found the collective with our in mind. But, oh, that, that person would be great for this or that person would be great for that. I guess casting it. And we made the album first and then, uh, then effectively shot an extended length music video. So we were out on the street, no licenses to shoot anywhere. Yeah, uh, just, you know. just, you know, shooting. But we weren't having to shoot sound, obviously, because we'd already yeah. made the album. So yeah. it was much easier to just kind of point a camera and have them, you know, a boombox in the background with the track playing. Yeah. And they're kind of miming it. And then we overlaid it later. So it was yeah. quite easy to, I mean, produ- to shoot from a production kind of point how, of view. That's kind of like how hip hop like, music videos are done today. Yeah, I mean, right. it's, it's, it's no different. Any music video, if when you're going to go out and shoot there, you're not yeah. actually taking the live music. You know, we've already got that bit. So, yeah. so in many respects, it was easy for us to be sort of guerrilla shooting around town, as it were. And we put together the, the piece. It ended up as sort of 47 minutes. It was quite, it's quite long. We're like, wow, it's almost like a feature film, you know. Um, Ding. And, yeah, right. Um, anyway, so we, uh, we we put it together and we did our screening. We partnered up with the Odeon on the Holloway Road and the friends and family came yeah, to see it. It was yeah. an amazing experience. Yeah, it was yeah. so lovely. Um, but then there was this website at the time called Without a Box mm-hmm. where you could create a profile and upload... Um, your synopsis and, and possibly a clip to film festivals around the world. A bit like the um, gig, gig kind of one where you create a profile and you can try and find yourself gigs at yeah, places. Gig, um, 
Oh, Sonic bits. Yeah. A bit like Sonic bits. There's, another, there's another one. There's a few of them, right? Yeah. It was, was like the film version of that. Yeah. Um, and I was searching and I thought, I saw what, the hip hop film festivals. I was like, wow, the Chicago International Hip Hop Film Festival. Yeah. Yeah, man, Chicago, that's cool. And <laughs> so I paid my $10 and submitted the thing, never heard anything. Uh, and a few months went by and I get this email saying, you've been nominated for Best <laughs> Narrative Short. In the Chicago International Hip Hop Film Festival, uh, here's the details and like this is the date it's on. Here's some hotels and whatnot. Yeah. And I emailed the guy and I said, "Well, really? Yeah. This is crazy." Isn't that it? sort of sounds like one of those things where you had a few drinks one night, you went on eBay, you bought yes. something, and, and then, then you realise it arrives. Like, yeah. What, like, what was it? What happened? Why yeah. have I got this large polystyrene yeah. elephant? In, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was kind of like that. Um, but I emailed the guy and said, "Look, is this? Are you for real? Because I, I could probably speak to some of the local." funders and maybe bring a few of the young people out with me and yeah. stuff this would be a lifetime experience for them and he goes absolutely we're serious just really think what you've done is incredible and by that time it was on community channel who partnered with us as well and it won the it won the best uh i don't know some award or something mm-hmm. like that for community channel um uh, yeah for that year anyway so i, I contacted uh, some of the local authority people who had funded us and i think british airways had this Young ambassadors kind of program where they give you a return flight oh, if you were representing your country or yeah. something. Representing on hip hop was brilliant, yeah. uh, and out we went with a few of the people, and we won. Yeah, we won the award. That's amazing. Like, yeah, maybe he was just like kind of, oh my god, they came the whole way. Imagine if they don't win. <laughs> but we did win it. Anyway. And I did find on YouTube a, a kind of like sort of director camera thing that you uh, were doing with one of the lads. Yes, and, uh, and it was a kind of before and after, and you were That's sort of right. there before the sh- and then you sort of went back to the same yeah. seats, and you went, oh, we won. We won. We won. And like, there was we this sort really... of genuine like kind of like yeah. I had no idea what's just happened, but it's awesome. There was this horrible sinking feeling though, because there was about nine films in the category, and they yeah. they made you watch parts of each one. <laughs> and as they kept rolling, we were like, "We're not going to win. We're not going to win. We're not going to win. This is terrible." Quickly sneak out now before it's too late. There's a, there's a moment of you sitting in the hotel room talking about this. Just yeah. Like, really good. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, it was one of those moments. Definitely, we were trying to sort of sleep down in the seats and eventually try and get out before they announced it. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so that was great and that led us to um, get further funding which we did other projects with. In fact, we ended up doing the second part. We ended up doing Purgatory mm-hmm. um, but this time hosting it on the stage in partnership with the Pleasance Theatre which was a phenomenal experience. Yeah. But it really gave young people experience to not just the recording but the other bits of production that come with it as yeah. well. Where in terms of Purgatory, you know, it'd be 13 straight nights so it was kind of like, wow, coming in every day and getting ready doing your makeup getting ready on stage mm. the intricacy of the show mm. and, and then off you go and then tomorrow you've got to come back and do it all again in front of a different audience yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah, it no, an I mean, amazing experience yeah it was it was fascinating I saw, that was I think that was around the time when we first met yeah did you yeah. see Purgatory um, I've see seen bits of it yeah, yeah. that yeah. was a great but, show yeah it's really good no amazing so okay so let's talk I think a little bit more generally like generally about the sort of the education process. So uh-huh. you, you've, you've mentioned a few of these things, so we don't need to kind of like labour it too much. But uh, I was, I'm curious about the syllabus creation. Now you talked uh-huh. about this modular concept, which kind of makes sense. But like, where, where do those modules come from? Do you just well, we of... actually don't. Um, we don't have. We don't follow a traditional approach at all. Actually, come to think of it, uh, our modules are term based. And we, we sort of brand our terms foundation, mm-hmm. development, and then creation. And then within each okay. term, we what other people refer to as modules, we refer to as disciplines. 
So we teach a bunch of disciplines, whether that's uh, economics and finance planning, whether it's project management, marketing, new technology, live events, a uh, whole range of stuff, sure. campaign stuff. It, it sort of gets blended into the term and then we assess the whole term. We don't assess by a particular subject because mm. that allows you the freedom to create assessments which are holistic because, let's face it, if we have to run a campaign, we're not just going, no, for the next two hours, all I am doing is this, and then all I am doing is that, mm-hmm. and I can't think of things in, I, I can only think of things in compartments. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. So instead we look at case studies and real-world scenarios taught by people who are literally, uh, this is what I'm working on at the moment, or this is what I just did last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, the students being master's level seven, independent learning and research, critical evaluation are the key components of that, have to then extrapolate from those things the bits that they will then put into the components of their assessment. So, for instance, a term one assessment here might include a 3,000-word portfolio, a 3,000-word essay, a 20-minute presentation, and some sort of digital poster or some artefacts of some sort. But there's nothing specific that says this assessment is about economics or this assessment is providing you know, is an essay on marketing or something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we took that approach under the guidance of one of our university partners and they said, look, this is working really well for us. How about this? Um, and it has been brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it's been really, really good. In fact, business <laughs> is the only one that at the moment isn't subscribing in that way, but it's about sure. to be flipped into that as well. Yeah, I mean, it must be difficult. I mean, it- I guess it sort of goes back to this sort of mix of like the, the sort of the practical and the more traditional sort of forms of education mm. and you and you're obviously finding new ways of mixing that together by as you say like not just kind of focusing on one thing and getting somebody to do a project on one particular discipline mm. it's like no think about this in a real life situation right? yeah how, how do you execute on this exactly and obviously it's very practical as well so and as I said our our um, flagship uh, MAs are commercial songwriting and, and commercial music producer. Yeah. Um, business students and marketing students get involved with them. But those those MAs have um, writing camps, live writing camps right. in them, one each term. Um, and they also have Brief of the Week, which are live commercial briefs which sort of come at you in your inbox every, every oh, week. Okay. So the writing camps are a complete mix of a whole range of different people from different disciplines. Um, putting together in rooms, sometimes working with established producers and writers as well. Um, and it, you jump out of class, even it's in class, it's like in the week of the term, you know, it's not extracurricular. It happens as part of study, but it's practical study. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a lot of that, um, which is which is integral, really, uh, which is very sort of non-traditional class-based, I right. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So very good. Um, so it sort it sort of like leads into what, why is it you think people do these courses? Now, my own experience, it was never for the bit of paper at the end. No, exactly. I knew that I wanted to work in the music industry at the time. Yeah. You know, grew up in the country, didn't know anyone in the big city. London was pretty much where the music industry was. I had no idea yeah. how to get in. I mean, short of, and I did this, writing off to record companies sort of randomly going, hi, I'm a young person who would like to come and work mm. for free for you. And then just getting like no letters. I'm like, well, they're not even going to let me in if I work for free. How the hell am I going to sort of break that sort of vicious circle? Because 
they need people with experience, right? So yeah. fortunately, that course came up, and that was kind of my my routine. But for me, it was I only used it to get in, into the music industry to get that job. Yeah. Like that was. Don't get me wrong, I appreciated education and the value that it had, and I knew I didn't know a bunch of stuff. Sure. So to actually learn some very specific stuff about the industry I wanted to go into. Yeah was a bonus mm. but almost like I was just using it as a sort of a gateway into the there's nothing wrong with that the, the end right. game but so, why do you think like given like how kind of advanced these things are these days mm. right and I think there it's it's a bit more like I think people are more aware like the sort of you know careers advisors at the sort of yeah. school age would be like oh yeah. right you're interested like I have, a, I have a son he's 17 he, you know just going through all of this kind of with him and they're much more aware of like all the different options and they'll sit and they'll kind of like really help sort of guide you in the right direction yeah um, so, but what, why what, when people come to your, your courses what are they there for are they there okay. to learn or are they there to kind of get qualified or? Uh, there's they're definitely there to learn. Um, I think if it's from a business, uh, marketing, a uh, songwriting or production perspective, um, there's a lot of people who are masters of their craft here. Uh, and because they're, they're directly involved in delivery or mentoring or the work experience or case study um, presentation, you're getting a lot of real world top tips. Mm-hmm. A lot of the producers and songwriters say the amount of tips I'm learning the clever ways of shortcutting things or doing things to expand a mix or clever ways of intricately bringing songwriting technique into a track to 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 finesse yeah Yeah. finesse things and get us better those those kind of things they say are a real plus here because there are so many practitioners who basically have to spend the last 15 years doing this day in day out here's some tips you know so there's that bit Um, there's the route to jobs of course because for songwriters and producers, the these the portfolio entrepreneurs, um, a, a a brief is a job, mm. you know. So we have brief brief of the week from sort of day one of study. So and on the songwriting camps, they're all live briefs. So we've had plenty of examples of current students who are answering briefs and getting the gig, and that gives you some nice return. And and also it doesn't just give you the initial income and the residual, uh, but it it cements the relationship with the publisher partner normally who's mm. been the gatekeeper to the gig and like put that person on a writing camp give them some collaborations let's see what happens next yeah so there's that route for the business students uh, where there's like a voluntary work placement scheme in the second term uh, as well that there is opportunities for them to make connections do stuff actually find out which companies they want to work for reach out to them with the cover letter and see we get placed for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks and start making those contacts Uh, academically I think people also you're not really sort of you're not percentage chasing in any kind of way on what what kind of MA am I going to get because there's an MA and there's an MA. Yeah. You know, I never right. asked, what, what, what type of MA did you get? Did you get a first? No. Well, no, it's just like you've got a master's, yeah, right? No right. one really you, ever asked Well, because it's like you've bothered to go to that extent. You've gone like, to, you've yeah. just got a master's, yeah. okay? So you've done a master's That, that says this. something about who you are. Right. Yeah. So there, but there are people who I think, yeah, consider there's a lot of people out there with BAs and mm-hmm. a lot of people out there with degrees. The master's gives you that next sort of lift yeah. up. And people, I think, employers do... Quite a lot of employers do recognise now what a master's means, that it, it is in itself critically evaluating and critically analysing mm. 
um, objectively a particular specialist field mm. uh, on your own, independently. So you're the kind of person who doesn't need to be handheld in the first phase of a job or whatever. Yeah. You could kind of like go, hmm, yeah, you're the kind of employee that thinks broader, critically evaluates situations, maybe manages things uh, under tight timeline or tight budget line, which other people might find quite stressful. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a bit more resilience to managing things like that mm -hmm. calmer or in a, mm -hmm. in a more objective way. And that can be the bottom line yeah. uh, for creative companies who are on a tight margin. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in that respect, I think people see it as so like a ticket to that. So this is interesting, right? So, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but the music industry of old, there were a lot of people in very senior positions there that were effectively chances, right? They, they had come at it from the point of view of, I love music, I'm going to go and do something. Mm -hmm. Now, they were either managers that ended up being heads of record companies or A&R people to, to, yeah. to, to the same route. Whereas, is it, do, you, do you think it's a case that as, we, as you, like people like yourself, you know, kind of push these courses into, into the mainstream mm -hmm. and more and more people come out as a product of that, that eventually we'll see a, a, a change where the people who are at the top are far more educated themselves. So when they're looking at hiring and they're looking at the hiring strategy, they're thinking much more about, as you say, like people that are capable of performing at a certain level, mm. right? But whereas, whereas I think before, like you could just kind of walk in off the street and just go, hey, look, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily. I think chances is a bit, possibly a bit arbitrary. Certainly, entrepreneurial. I was, I was, were, I was trying were, to be a chance, Yeah, <laughs> chances and blaggers and and entrepreneurs, young yeah. entrepreneurs who. But yeah, absolutely, maybe so. But um, and maybe because it had something to do with the you know through vinyl um, on into tape and then on into CD. There was the best part of. I suppose, what, two-thirds of a century mm. uh, that, yes, okay, the format changed, but the mechanism behind it was pretty much the same. It was just another format, yeah. another piece of hardware, another piece of software. It just got better each time, you know, from final... Uh, apart which, from cassettes. Well, I don't know. Cassettes brought, brought in... Cassettes brought portability they in did, for the first right. time. Okay. I mean, the Walkman, man, it was the greatest thing ever. It's like, hang on a minute, when was the last time you saw somebody jogging with a vinyl player <laughs> on their back? It's like, what, it's now you can move with your music and take yeah. it portable. So there was a huge plus about that. Yeah. And also the whole kind of like... I'm going to make a mixtape for my loved one That's and true. copy all those I'm tracks and write out all the track lists yeah. inside. I used to love that. I used to listen to Top of the Pops and then write out all the top 20 or whatever it was on my... Likewise. It's just great, yeah. right? So no, I love TD, but, um, tape rather. But then, um, you know, through all of those formats, well. through all of those formats, the, the process and the mechanism of that vertical model I was talking about largely to the largest extent controlled by the major companies because ultimately they're the other ones that owned that value chain mm -hmm. um, things didn't really change so yeah so maybe in many respects there was just a way of doing things that was people assimilated to and it was the advance of new technology that, and the continued advance of new technology that has continued to twist and turn and, and drive change that ultimately I think is the result of people wanting to be educated at a higher level about what this means and, and of course to, to, to understand that crux of the problem that the or crux, of, crux of the issue which is that our industry has become a, more of a service sector led mm. horizontal kind of landscape as opposed to this this traditional vertical food chain that was pretty much stuck stuck in its own way very sure. successfully by owning just the whole mechanism to consumer well now yeah. we have to think totally differently yeah. 
So in order to master those skills, you do need to understand a new range of technologies that uh, hopefully people like us are quite good at importing. I I was going to ask you about how... um in terms of like teaching methods as well mm-hmm. like how, how I mean it must be very hard to, to kind of not only find ways of engaging with perhaps a, you know a, a, a segment of age demographic that technology their their foot their sort of they, they grew up with it right you and I didn't really grow up with it in that set in the same way that it is today right? yeah you know I remember the kind of the I had a ZX81 you know, right, like yeah, yeah, I remember that. One K yeah. computer. Yeah. I mean, didn't you know, I had to program my own games type yes. of thing, right? So that that's that was in a way. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it was there was like the concept of UI and UX were definitely missing from our early sort of computer experiences. And so um obviously you've you've got a lot of students that they grew up with, you know, touch screens and, and sort of everything from there on in, right? And mm-hmm. as a teacher, I guess having to sort of teach in a way that makes sense to them because to give them a textbook is not as engaging right did, did you feel a pressure to do that as, as I don't know maybe we just um, we just develop stuff with the technology we have we're very right we're, you know we have a recording studio and tech labs and writing rooms mm-hmm. and as well as just in fact we only have one classroom yeah. compared to all the other types of rooms we have so yeah some stuff needs to be kind of I suppose lecture chalk and talk and feedback style traditional but, but style do you, do you use like the smart boards that are kind of like big like, uh, no, yeah, no. I mean, we we project presentations. I don't actually own a smart board. I looked at them, but um, instead we just uh, our, our tutors, you know, use presentations or links to videos. And we, we're in a studio, so we're hearing sound yeah, and sure. twiddling knobs and well, all that sort of they, stuff. They have mm. my daughter's school, and I can't help but think it's a slightly over-engineered concept. The but, smart board, it totally yeah. is. I went somewhere once that had one. I was like, mm, and and then it never worked. So it's kind of like, well, so I ended up just using it with with whiteboard marker anyway <laughs> <laughs> much to, I'm sure somebody's discussed somebody's probably yes. yeah. um, so uh, okay now, now there's a question about my podcast how do you think I can help with this so what I've I've got this into interesting to hear you talk about so I've got kind of different um, sort of strands I've got the basics I do something on lifestyle I do mm-hmm. some current affairs stuff although admittedly not as much as I thought I might yeah um, and then I have this sort of disciplines thing which is what this this falls into okay so I mean that that's kind of how I structured it I wanted to make it sort of so you could navigate through like if you weren't interested in this or you felt like you knew enough and therefore you could kind of skip the basics right uh-huh. if, you know like one of the basics was about physical products and uh, right. you know and I was just sort of you know talking about kind of that as a, as a sort of a thing sure. um, so I mean you know what, what, what do you think that something like this could do because I mean the, the medium of podcast is a great way of learning right because you can kind of break things into sort it of is things. we're pioneering a lot of sort of online blended learning at the moment which yeah, um, yeah we, we shoot a lot of video we have um, in, interactive uh, interactive uh, exercises so if you, here's what the person needs you to do and then you've got some time to create it and upload it and then our tutors can look at that in their inbox and give feedback by pressing the reply button and their camera comes on so they can quickly mm-hmm. give some video feedback and send and yeah. it's an easy way for people who are in the middle of a mix or doing something to take a break and answer a few questions then get back to it again that kind of thing mm-hmm. and obviously using slack type technologies where you can create threads of conversation mm-hmm. and throw in images or other stuff um our students have VLEs, which all universities have now, these virtual learning environments where you right, can right, right. find out what class you got and upload, download documents, and mm-hmm. you could do little timed exercises and things like that on there. 
um, yeah, there's a whole range of stuff that we use in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe maybe I'll look at doing some of those things. Um, so and what, well, feedback I would say is yeah, a really good I, one. I, the, what people want is to ask a question. Probably your audience might have questions for key people. I've got a question for a producer. I've got a question for a uh-huh. label owner. I've got a question for a manager, and then they can give audio or simple feedback very easily from wherever they are just yeah. send it to you and there could be it's like what what we do with the online MA is um, we, we actually give one of the assessments to maybe seven or eight producers with the same questions so we're coming to film you we're just going to ask one question how would you tackle that assessment mm-hmm. and then there's because there's no right answer it's just mm-hmm. lots of different ways and different producers do their with their rig and setup do things in different ways yeah, right. so we've got like eight eight or different d- a- approaches to how yeah. you might tackle the assessment but we're not telling the student how to do it interesting so that's where it's quite uh, if I was a producer I'd want to hear how each different producer tackled the same thing and then kind of go which one am I most like or I'll steal a bit of that way and a bit of that and a bit of that mm. but you've still got to then go and do the assessment so um, we'd like to that kind of interaction maybe some of your audience kind of like would love to get some feedback on this question from someone who does sync yeah or whatever well I mean that, and that's kind of what I'm hoping to you know sort of turn I had a little bit of that so far I, I try and use Twitter just because it feels like that's, that's a good medium yeah. um, so I've had a little bit through that and then of course you know you just kind of get DMs through Instagram Facebook Facebook yeah. pages, LinkedIn of course um, so there, there's been a little bit I kind of want to encourage that because I think that dialogue is really important because um, of course I'm, I, there's normally somebody in my network that I can kind of bring in and do another episode on that hopefully then sort of answers some of the questions yeah. um, so that, that was kind of yeah um, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so um, we're nearly at the end. Oh, which, which is great. Gosh, this is really good. Go. Um, so hammering it out. Uh, I, I had a question about how do you like do you, do you do you try and stay up to date with what's going on in the music industry, or do you just kind of not ignore it, but like don't worry too much about it because you're kind of focusing on more like core subjects, like this is what publishing is, and this is kind of how you you know approach it, or. Is it, is, it, is it hard? Because it's changing a lot, right? what you mean by keeping up to date with things. You mean what uh, the way that new no, technologies I... are influencing the way the industry works and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, for instance, I mean, we, 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 that changes every year in, in modules like My One Industry Landscape or in Zoe's uh, New Technology uh, for Creative Industries, for instance. They're, you know, most recently we had Chaz Jenkins in talking about chart yeah. metric yeah. and uh, I've got to get him on I've got to get right. him on I'm going to write him and, and then yeah. Lucy actually who who works here you know she's given um, uh, what happens when you load up the Facebook uh, ad generator and, and you actually have to input all the details for a campaign right. so she takes one of our international songwriting camps as a as a um, an idea as a case study mm-hmm. well this is how we got 38 people you know at sort of 800 quid ago mm-hmm. coming on an international campaign but there's a lot of detail in the Facebook ad manager and the and the Google ad management stuff so how do you create sales funnel pipeline stuff and how do you manage ads respond to changes in the way that ads are being perceived A, B stuff and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing I mean you might consider those 
leading and cutting edge ways of conducting business yep. in the lean environment. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we do things like that. We're constantly looking at, and Rota, your, your partner's a great yep. example, what Diamond's doing and the ability of Rota Video for, for young um, creative entrepreneurs to upload their own footage, to use pre-cleared archive footage, to chop and change and add lyrics and do stinger videos and to literally create an entire music video in the time the algorithm just takes to sort of go from process zero it, to 100% yeah. to process it. It's insane, it's amazing. I was, I was just on a call just before and there's so much exciting stuff coming. It's incredible, the, the, the right? So yeah, we, yeah. We, you know, Dylan yeah. comes in and, and talks about Rota and yeah. Chaz talks about you know chart metric and the power of data and Lucy's talking about the sales funnel pipeline stuff and we're, we're staying right on the cutting edge of that side of things. Yeah, yeah of course. Brilliant. Yeah. Wonderful, excellent. Um, so you sort of mentioned a few things uh, earlier on, but just maybe just run through them again. Mm. What's the future for, for Talia Education? We are in the process of uh, launching a suite of our MAs online as online blended. So okay. MA Commercial Music Producer is now live um, and has, and, and has its first cohort. Is that like a sort of cheaper version of the course because it's just online? As it it to... is slightly less. It comes yeah. in at about a grand less. Um, and it's designed for people who want to... Um, yeah, uh, well, anyway, it's designed for people who want to, can, either they don't live in London and they don't yeah. want to move, or yeah. they want to keep their job and or their freelance work yeah. and not have to give a lot of it up for the physical thing. And there is a lot of people out there like that um, who want that. Um, it's, like filmed, the, it's like the open university type content. Kind it? of, it's quite specialised. I mean, we film, it is the same MA as the mm. physical, it's the same subjects yeah. that we teach, but we've filmed with, ex, you know, a lot of the amazing producers and writers mm. and artists here, exclusive content. And then it's, it, it isn't just a, a, an online course, it's called Online Blended because you're invited to each one of the writing camps. Um, you get brief okay. for the week and you've got loads of upload stuff nice. to get um, interactive feedback um all of our mas in terms two and three get an industry mentor they meet monthly but those meetings can be physical or digital uh and then we host a 10-day sort of songwriting creative business and social camp mm. specifically for all the onlines where they come in and our physical ma students are like invited to that they're like oh yeah well i want to meet those guys and girls and hook up with them as well so there's lots of real-world connectivity with Tyler, but you something you could come in and just couch surf for a few days or a week and then go back to your life again. Mm. So that I'm very excited about, actually. Yeah, I think so there's a lot really of possibility broad, in that. Broad really broad. Yeah. And so song, uh, no, business is coming up next. We're going to do right. music business online, international music marketing, and then eventually songwriting online as well. What well, next? We are developing um, a new site, Tyliard North, um, okay. on a 100,000 square foot um, facility, which is a collection of seven beautiful grade two listed uh, red brick mill buildings on the banks of the Calder in Wakefield, um, which is just 10 minutes from Leeds. Mm -hmm. um, is a fabulous town. It's got a steeped in loads of history. Um, and... Yeah, these buildings are just going to convert into the most amazing collection of studios, production, suites, uh, offices. We've got a hotel going in there. There's a massive live event space happening there. Um, brewery, all that kind of stuff. And it's right next to the Hepworth Museum, which was Museum of the Year last mm. year. Stunning, stunning building. So um, very excited about launching education up north. Um, with our suite we'll, uh, of courses, we'll be launching in, uh, 
at the moment it's looking like September 21, so the start of the academic year of 2021. Um, and, and there's a couple of other sort of sites that we're looking at on the horizon as well and just keeping on doing what we're doing really, yeah. just keeping on connecting people who want to learn about these skills and crafts mm-hmm. um, and connect with industry, which is really our, yeah, our kind of spot. US here yeah yeah, yeah brilliant that, that all sounds uh, incredibly ambitious but uh, brilliant at the same time just gotta keep going yeah well uh, thank you so much like this, Pleasure. Is, this it's been has really been good. a good real learning experience um and uh, yeah very very interesting thank you so much um so uh, to my listeners thank you for listening uh, i welcome all feedback comments and suggestions for future shows my twitter handle is at alex branson just put podcast DM in a message and i'll follow you back and we have a direct dialogue or go to the website www abcmusic.co and you'll find a contacts page there where you can drop me an email. Thank you once again, Harry. Thank you.